Welcome to James Explores the New Mutants, the podcast that, well, explores, explains, and examines the comic book series, The New Mutants, its rebranding, relaunches, and spinoffs. In an attempt to share my passion for this series, its characters, writers, and artists. In today's episode, we explore two comics for the very first time. New Mutants number 3 and Uncanny X-Men 167. It's Aliens, Bears, and Professor Xavier. Oh my! Stay tuned as we conclude the Brood Saga. Welcome back. Before we get to the conclusion of the Brood Saga and start with issue number three of the New Mutants, I would like to make a quick correction to last week's episode. In last week's episode, I was talking about shared plot elements between Uncanny X-Men and the New Mutants and talking about how I didn't think that those the reason those elements were shared was due to the fact that this was a new spinoff that needed to have its sales boosted by having it tie into stories from a very well-established uh, comic. Uh, and I said there's no signposts that direct you to, to, to go to Uncanny X-Men or back to the New Mutants, right? Usually if you're going to have a crossover, you need to have guideposts to tell you which the reading order so that, so that you know which one to read next. Um, it turns out that issue number three of the New Mutants of these issues that share plot elements of the Uncanny X-Men and the New Mutants, issue number three of the New Mutants does have some signposts, some editor notes that do direct you to Uncanny X-Men number 167. The first is on page two, and it says, Note, this story takes place between issues 166 and 167 of the X-Men, Luis. Um, and Luis is the editor of the X-Titles, uh, Luis Jones. Um, and then she has another note at the end of the book on the last page. Uh, and it's basically telling us that the story's going to pick up in 167 that had been published previously uh, in X-Men, right? 167. So that's where the story concludes. And I say previously because 167 Uncanny X-Men was published two months before The New Mutants number three came out. Uncanny X-Men 167 was published in March of 1983. uh, The New Mutants number three was published in May of 1983. So there's a two-month gap. And usually when you're telling readers that you need to go read the next, the concluding issue of a crossover or a story arc that's in another issue or another comic, it's usually not two months previous to the, to the one that you're reading. So usually you don't go have to look in back issues to find the concluding book of a story arc. Usually they come out the very next month, if that makes sense. So uh, like Executioner Song, you would have collected them on a monthly basis, right? It would just been one in May, one in June, one in July, one in August, so forth and so on. You usually don't have a two-month gap and have the last, the last book in the story published in March and the, and the second to last published in May of that year. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's confusing, like I said. You have to find in backs issues or hope that the store is still stocking an issue that was published two months earlier. It's not very likely. Uh, in 1983... The internet wasn't really a thing. You didn't go online and go to Amazon and order books off of eBay. Like, that's just not something that was happening. So it was a little harder to track down back issues if you didn't have access to comic book stores or back issues. And, And for that reason, it makes me really think that it wasn't so much you know, a, a, a ploy to increase the sales of New Mutants so much as it was just the way Chris Claremont wrote his writing style, and I stick to my assertions from last episode, the correction's just on the notes and the signpost in issue number three of The New Mutants. 
So with that, let's dive right into issue number three, Nightmares. This issue opens with Danny Moonstar sitting upright in her bed, looking out the window, and it's pouring rain, lightning, it's storming, it's dark, you know, it's night, it's the middle of the night, and she's terrified. Uh, something's wrong. She looks out the window again, and there's this giant beast monster thing at the window. She grabs her knife, she goes to investigate, opens the window, and there's nothing there. She closes it, and she's, you know, not sure what's going on. She's she's thinking about the, the you know the events in the danger room that she's being attacked. She's feeling uncertain and scared. She's starting to think maybe her own uh, mutant abilities are attacking her. That she's she's doing harm to herself. She can't control her abilities. And as she's thinking this, this beast, this the shadowy beast with red eyes and sharp fangs, bursts through the window, uh, and she tries to run. It grabs her and she stabs it with its with the knife that she had and leaves the knife, and runs. She runs for her life. She runs to get her teammates because they're the only. She needs their help to defeat whatever this is. And she opens the first door and she sees. Uh, Roberto's been shot, uh, gunned down. He's laying there dead, and it's it's his dead girlfriend Juliana that's holding a machine gun. It's still smoking. Uh, she goes to as she sees Shane Coy Man. Uh, her clothing's ripped, and she's laying. Uh, looks dead. Her just her features are cold and lifeless. Uh, she sees Sam Guthrie buried under rubble. He's been crushed in the collapse of a mine, and. This mob, uh, led by the Reverend Craig, has rain tied to a post, and she is burning. She's burning at the stake. Uh, and at that moment, this this monster again grabs Moot Danny, and, and she pulls at this the face. She's grabbing at it, trying to free herself. She's in this bear hug. She's, she's fighting for her life. She rips the mask off its face, and it's this bear. It's the demon bear, the demon bear that that killed her parents. At this moment, she screams, no, she's bolt up in her, right in her bed. We realize at this point it was a dream, and she's terrified. She's screaming. Bobby and Sam enter the room, and Danny breaks down in tears. And uh, she's terrified. She thinks she's going crazy. Um, Xavier is checking her temperature. All uh, Sam and and Roberto are standing there, and and Rain, uh, and they're all concerned for her. Uh, and Xavier's like, "Well, you you're fine. You know what you really need to do is just get some rest, and we'll talk more about this in the morning." And and she's laying in bed after her teammates leave in the dark. Xavier's gone. Uh, and she just is, she feels like something is really wrong. Uh, somebody's tried to kill her. There's something really wrong. And, and she grabs her knife again. This time she noticed that the knife, even though she'd been dreaming it, it, it has some r- g- brown gunk on it. it. It looks as though she's some, you know, got blood on it. So she runs down. She's got to tell Xavier. She's like, I need to tell him, you know, my dream is real. Like, we have to do something about this. This bear is coming. It is coming for me. There's something really wrong. And she runs downstairs. She gets to the door, and she hears Xavier on the phone. And he's saying, there's something wrong with Daniel Moonstar. She's crazy. She is not stable. And at this moment, like, you know, talk about being gaslight, gaslit, right? Like, she is not certain of her powers. She's not sure what happened in the danger room really happened. She's already starting to question, maybe she did this to herself, and now she's got this figure that's supposed to be teaching her how to, you know, utilize her abilities, how to control them, how to, like, harness them and do, you know, prevent herself from doing harm to others. He's saying, you know, her hope, her really her last hope for being able to, to mesh in society and be around other people, the, the person that's supposed to help her do that is now telling, telling someone over the phone that, she, that he thinks she's crazy, and she is just done. Like, she collapses, her hand covers her face, and, and she collapses to the floor and realizes he thinks she's insane, and you know, 
here's what she's thinking. Maybe I am. As far as insane, maybe I am. My mutant powers never show anything good. Maybe because I don't want it to. Maybe I show the wicked, evil, hurtful sides of people because I'm wicked and hateful and evil. If that's true, I don't want. I shouldn't be allowed to live. And she's holding this knife like right about her breast. And she looks, I mean... McLeod has drawn her so well in these last couple frames. Like, you can see, like, hope, excitement, fear in her facial expressions. At this moment, she has collapsed to the floor, and she looks as though she is honestly contemplating suicide. It is a very powerful moment in this comic. Um, Probably in New Mutants, a powerful moment for Danny. Like, she's at the tipping point. She's honestly at the point where she's about to break. She feels like she has no other options. She's run out of options, and she doesn't know what to do. Um, and who's Xavier called? Uh, you probably guessed it, Moira McTaggart. And she begins firing back, like, um, have you mind-scanned her? He's like, well, no, I haven't. He, she's, she's becoming very upset with him, like, how can that, you know, why are you calling me? You haven't even bothered to mind scan her. There's nothing I can do. I've run tests on them all. Everyone's fine. Everyone's mentally sound. Like, you are wrong, and you haven't even mind scanned her, so, like, you should be able to tell me if there was something off, and you're telling me that I'm... She's just irate. Like, she doesn't understand what's going on with him, why he would not have tried that first. And she hangs up, and Sean Casty's there, uh, Banshee, and he's... Puts his arms around her and he's trying to console her because she's very upset. Moira is. And they're, they're at Muir Island um, with Ileana. And um, she's like, well, you know, I met with Gabrielle Haller and found out about Charles's son. And, like, he doesn't know anything about this. And she starts relaying this information that, like, they had tried to have a kid and not, they weren't successful, and now Charles has one, and he's a mutant, and he's struggling, and he needs help, and Charles doesn't know anything about it, and, you know, I just had my son Proteus, who the X-Men killed, who was, like, a psychopath, and, like, I couldn't help him, and now I need to help this other mutant, and these kids need help, and, like, she's really feeling scared and desperate and unsure and banshee's like you know what everything's gonna be okay it's gonna be fine and he brings up the idea of the uh, of banshee and moira having a child together getting married and having a child um and it's kind of a touching scene and it, but it's also like the soap opera like that one page is such a soap like so so Socratic, if that's the word, or a word, a moment. Like, it's just, like, all of the, like, angst and drama and, like, uh, everything that could be um, dramatized or uh, really hammed up like that. It happens there. It's it's a great moment in this comic. Um, and so the next day comes and Sean's out walking along the shoreline and he notices Ileana out on the rocks and she is singing this song that to her lost friend Kitty Pride and Ileana starts talking about her time our thinking more so like her and Sean have a moment where they talk and he, you know, says, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Like, go about your business. She's thinking this whole entire time as he's t- as they're talking about Kitty. And see, Sean's like, well, you know what? The X-Men, they've been in tough scrapes. They've been, yeah, they're kidnapped by aliens. They've been in tough scrapes before. They're going to be all right. I promise. They're coming back. They, they, you know, no no situation's too big for him. She's, so he thinks he's reassuring Ileana. Well, Ileana's partly thinking about that but she's not super worried about that what she's really been thinking about is all the X-Men that she and Blasco killed in Limbo like Ileana's really still working through that and like that's a story that uh, we haven't discussed yet but there is a magic miniseries that we will at, down the road here re- review and go over and examine and explore um 
But for now, events happened. She was seven. When she returned from limbo, she was 14. So seven years passed while she was in limbo. Uh, and in that time, she manifested her mutant abilities. Well, on Earth, it was only a matter of seconds. She was gone for seconds, left at seven, at the age of seven, returned at the age of 14. So it's a big developmental part of her story, which I said, like I said, we'll cover later. Elsewhere, back at Xavier Institute for Gifted Youngsters, we see Danny swimming in Olympic-sized pool. It's early morning, and she looks to be swimming laps. We find out that she's really trying to clean her, clear her head, and she's still running through events that have been happening to her since the Danger Room incident. Uh, and the, the team leader, Karma, Sean Coy Man, comes out to the pool and asks Danny, you know, what are you doing out here? It's freezing cold. And Danny's like, you know, no, no, this is pretty comfortable, honestly, compared to swimming in the Rocky Mountains. Now that was cold. Um, and, and she gets talking, and she tells her that, you know, like, something's really wrong. And I was about ready to quit and just give up, but, you know, something's not right. And I'm not sure... I'm starting to think Xavier's in on it. Something's going on, and they and and he wants me out of here. Uh, and and she's starting to raise some alarms, right? Like she's terrified, and and the evidence that she, you know, the stuff that she starts te- she's telling uh, Karma is enough to make Karma think, you know, we need to get the team together and we need to go over this. Uh, elsewhere in the danger room, we see. Sam Guthrie uh, running uh, running through some tests for Xavier. One is an impact test just to see if, if he is, I don't know, how invulnerable he is, I guess. Uh, and he smashes into this giant metal thing. And he's dazed, but he's not hurt. Because, remember, he's nigh invulnerable when, when blasting. That's really important to remember that. Uh, but he is dazed, and the next test he has to do is try to weave his way through some metal hoops that are set up in the danger room, um, and he can't turn. And he tries with all of his focus, all of his, you know, you know, mental faculties trying to turn, and he runs into the side of this metal ring, this giant metal hoop, and he gets hung up there. And, I mean, he's just been, you know, really grueling, practicing, trying to trying to get this power of his under somewhat control he he can't turn at all he can shoot straight and that's it um you know and it's an it's an interesting scene because what we see is an uh, again a concerned xavier like he's really trying to figure out you know how do we how do i help sam control his ability how do i get him to be able to make turns so he finishes up his training and he goes and he's showering and shaving and as he's lathering his face, you know, he's thinking about what's going on in the danger room and all of a sudden he he goes black. And we see as a reader that, like, he's been possessed by karma. And when he comes to again, he's still thinking these thoughts and he's like, wait, the the foam's cold. My, My shaved cream is cold. I'm cold. What's going on? I blacked out, you know, this is karma's doing, and he's not too happy, but he does see on the mirror a, a message written in the shaving cream, meet us in the boathouse. So he gets dressed, and he runs down to the boathouse, and he's really upset, like, you know, you had no right, you might be the oldest, and you might be the leader, but you have no right to possess me like that, it's way out of line, you know, he's just reading or the riot act, and and he sees the rest of his teammates, Roberto and uh, Danny, or and uh, Danny and Karma and Rain, and they're all down there, and they explain to him, "Hey, <laughs> we were all, you know, Rain and Bobby were also possessed by Karma to get here," and 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 they explained, uh, Karma and and Danny explained, "Hey, you know, this was done because we needed to get you guys to to meet with us, and we needed to do it without Xavier knowing because something weird is going on." They're like, "What the heck?" and and so, you know, Danny lays it all out. You know, the danger room stuff. 
you know, the dream, the knife, and then the phone call to Moira that she'd overheard. And, you know, so now they're a little, okay, well, you know, I don't know, we should probably talk to Xavier. And Sam goes to leave, and all of a sudden, the, the land, the, the grounds outside of the, outside of the boathouse look to be an alien world. And we've seen this once before in Uncanny X-Men, when the brood make it appear as though the X-Men are at this banquet, and in fact, they've been captured by the brood. Um, so we've seen this sort of, like, uh, hallucinate, hallucination, uh, mental, you know, this, this masking of the environment to, to, to make it look as though um, it's another place, right? To manipulate, uh, manipulate their prey or to help control their prey. Uh, so they, they, they're afraid if they go outside the boathouse to try to get to the house to talk to Xavier, they're going to get lost on the way there. And they figure, you know, they got to do this because if they don't, you know, he might be who's, he might be in danger too. So they, Danny, even though she's been warned by Xavier, as they all have, that, you know, they need to to stay out of places that, that they don't belong, that they haven't been told about. Like, and, But Danny's been exploring, you know, that one issue she'd been up in uh, Storm's room and in Kitty's room. She's been exploring the 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 tunnels beneath, uh, beneath uh, the Xavier mansion. And so there's a secret way in from the boathouse that that will take them into the Xavier uh, to to the mansion. Well, she opens this big metal door. It looks like a uh, almost like a uh, like a fallout shelter door. It's so massive. She opens that up, and they're going into this tunnel. And she is grabbed by a, a bee, a, a monster, an alien, and and this turns out to be a brood. If you've been following. Uh, the Brood Saga and Uncanny X-Men, you see this, you know it's a brood immediately. It's the same thing that she saw when she was in the danger room. It's the same kind of creature that attacked her on that cliff face. Uh, and it has her, it's got her wrapped up. And it's starting to, you know, it, it's, you know, it's telling him, uh, that, you know, it's taunting him, really. You know, I've got my prey and you guys are no match for me. You can't do, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Shane can't possess it when she does try th- these uh, what is she 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 tells us in her thoughts its thoughts the very fiber of its being so alien so evil it's more than I can bear and she shrieks and breaks the connection and collapses um, staggering backwards um, Danny can't you know use her abilities on it uh, it's its mind is closed to her Wolfbane acts next, and she transforms into a wolf form and bites its leg, and this buys him time. And then Sam blasts into it, uh, rockets into the uh, into the brood, uh, knocking it back. But he also knocks his teammates back. Um, but the brood it disappears, and Danny's been released. She's groggy, and possibly from the fact that. I think we're led to believe it's from the fact that uh, she tried to possess it. So she's groggy in a similar manner that, that Shane is. Uh, we're going to find out that's not completely the case. We're going to find out that that her powers are, are, in fact, being used against her, right, by this brood, by this uh, young queen. Um, so they see the tunnel before them. It looks uh, almost like rock and maybe fibrous material. Um, it's changed, though. It's not different. It's almost like it's organic matter has formed along the wall. You know, it, it reminds me very much of, like, Aliens movies, the Alien movies, when, you know, that kind of material uh, it's coating this tunnel. And so they continue to move through it. Uh, tendrils lash out and grab Roberto, but he he transforms into his into this sunspot form, and he quickly rips free. Uh, the brood attacks again, and it grabs Danny and uh, carries her away. Uh, she she can't get free, and her mind uh, is still burning. She describes it as burning, and she's in great pain. She screams and begins to black out. When she awakes, she's in the study, uh, Xavier's study, 
and she is bound up in this uh, almost like a spider wrapped up in like webbing in a very similar manner to the sp- as a spider would its prey and uh, it begins uh, it, you know it, it's telling you you know you've lost there's nothing you can do about it and it shows her an image very much like her powers it shows her an image of her teammates transforming into into broods Be, you know they're gonna they're gonna he's gonna they're gonna implant embryos in them and they will transform just as the x-men will have and and you know there's nothing that they can do uh she can't break free but her teammates show up and sam bursts through uh and roberto's transformed he's attacking it uh as as shank uh Shinkoi Man, Karma, and Wolfbane run in. Uh, Wolf, Wolfbane still in her is in her wolf's form. Uh, Shane is take is possessed, uh, and and goes after Roberto. Roberto uh, elbows her and knocks her out. Well, they they can't find the brood. It again attacks and grabs uh, Wolfbane um, and throws Wolfbane down, um, and and. Danny's beginning to figure out that her her powers are being used against her by this brood. Uh, it's it's got this uh, psy, psy, psychic abilities and it's and it's uh, actually using Danny's powers to manipulate reality around her teammates. And if they don't knock her out or do something with her, they'll never beat this this brood uh, queen. And and so. Uh, cannonball rockets at her and knocks her unconscious and uh, after that it's all over it was Danny was right you know she when it was and Sam finally asked was it all her fault something she created out of her craziness you know and and You know they're trying to wrap their heads around this, and they're interrupted by Xavier, and he's demanding that explanation. And so we kind of cut that. That's the end of this for the New Mutants. Uh, in the New Mutants, um, you know, the next scene we see Roberto go out to talk with Danny. They're out on the porch and they're discussing stuff. And Danny's still feeling kind of uncertain. Like, they know there's some monster out there. They know they didn't kill it. It got away. Uh, they know they put they they hold it off. They held it at bay. And they're feeling okay about that. But Danny's not sure that, like, it's coming back. It's still out there. And it's going to come back. And it's going to try to complete the job. And Roberto's like, hey, you know, we're a team. And if we stick together, we can, we can take care of this. And, uh... They they happen to notice. I think it's a really beautiful scene. They see the shooting star, and Roberto's got him, his arm around her, and points the shooting star out. That's probably the returning X Men, which is I think just absolutely beautiful. And as they're kind of admiring this, uh, Sam Guthrie comes to the door, and he's like, "Hey, we're about to watch Magnum PI. You guys should get in here. It's gonna be fun, a good time. Let's just enjoy ourselves." And uh, we are left with, and so Xavier's students begin to relax, unaware that in a matter of minutes, their predecessors, the Uncanny X-Men, are about to make their spectacular return home. And that's the end of Nightmare, the new mutant issue number three. We will be jumping into Uncanny X-Men 167, when the, where the X-Men will return, and we will see the two teams interacting and we will discover what the conclusion to the brood saga is so please stay tuned and we will we'll get into that uh here momentarily before we get into uncanny x-men 167 i do want to mention momentarily the creative team for this book so obviously we have chris claremont writing uh and louise jones uh is still the editor we have a different artist and inker than we've had in the new mutant books uh and the artist the penciler is paula smith and bob white is the inker 
And I note this because this is the first time anyone other than Bob McLeod has drawn the majority of the New Mutants. Remember, he created them. These were ideas that Claremont had. These characters were ideas Claremont had, but he'd never put them in any of the X-Men comics yet. And so McLeod brought them to life in the comic in, in comics in the comic pages, right? No one else had ever done drawn most of these characters. The only character that had been drawn prior to this, prior to the New Mutants, was Karma. She appeared in Marvel Team-Up uh, with Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. It was issue 100. And the artist who, who drew her for the first time was, um, was Frank Miller. So prior to that, you know, no one had drawn any of these characters except for Frank Miller. And so... Bob McLeod's kind of passing this team on to a new artist. And and they are different. You can you see it immediately, especially in facial features. Um, for me, uh, the New Mutants, in their faces, they look older. Um, and if you would, you know, I would also argue that, like, especially uh, Karma and Danny, they both look more... More, uh, more model-like. Uh, they're much more refined features, less, uh, you know, more attractive, um, less childlike, more adult, for sure. Um, and and I'm not saying that's a bad style. It is just different, and it's noticeably different from McLeod's work on the New Mutants. So that being said, you know, that's that's gonna be a change in this in this issue from what we've seen before with these characters. Uh, This is an X-Men title, and the the New Mutants do have a role in it, but is certainly an X-Men book. Um, And so what we see, this very first page, uh, it's it's beautifully done. I really enjoy it. It's an establishing shot of Xavier Mansion from the back. We see the pool, and we see the back of the mansion. It gets closer, and we see a sliding glass door and a window, and we see some figures through those windows. And then it, we, we get another panel where it's a close-up of a window, and we can see Sam Guthrie's leaning over a couch, and Rain Sinclair's sitting on the couch, and Bobby DaCosta sitting on the floor uh, near Rain. And then we get a shot of the entire team sitting in front of a TV. They're watching Magnum P.I. And this is a introductory shot for each of the characters. It, it gives their name. They're talking a little bit and, we, and, we, and, and eating popcorn and just relaxing, have a good time. Uh, and this is something that has been a re- reoccurring uh, in, introductory shot for the New Mutants. And it's a great way for anybody that hasn't been reading New Mutants to be introduced to these characters. Uh, and and they seem to be really relaxing and having a good time. Remember, they're just coming off of this fight with the this brood monster and having whatever discussion they had with Xavier after he discovered that they destroyed his study, you know. And this moment of, of relaxation and bonding over Magnum P.I. is interrupted harshly because the X-Men have come home. And they're out for blood. We see Xavier, uh, sorry, Cyclops. He is blasting, you know, shooting his concussive blast from his eye eye beams, uh, shattering the door. Uh, in pops um, uh, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Wolverine come in through another window, and Popcorn Pop goes flying. And the New Mutants are definitely surprised. It doesn't take long for the New Mutants, who were caught off guard, to spring into action. Cannonball uh, rockets into Colossus and carries him uh, outside, out of the, you know, out of the fight, out into the 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 grounds of the the uh, institute. Um, now Cyclops, he's sweeping the room with his concussive blasts and telling the mutants, you know, these these young younger people that you know younger children to stay down you know just get out of the way let us do our job we're here you know to help uh we don't mean you any harm um and remember like these brood that one of their abilities is to create like a false atmosphere right help create 
illusions and and maybe hallucinations that mask their presence and change the reality around around a person so like the x-men aren't sure what they see is actually you know real and so that's what you know cyclops doing he's sweeping around and now this ruckus down scares has has created a diversion so this has allowed key pride to slip into the upst- upper you know, the upstairs of the mansion, he, she phases through the wall, and she's in, and she's holding this blaster. Meanwhile, downstairs, uh, the fight continues. Uh, Danny pulls Cyclops' worst fear from his mind, and that's that he would lose control of his eye, his optic blast. Now, this throws him off balance, and it creates an opening, and we see uh, Rain transform into her wolf form. She leaps on Nightcrawler. Roberto uh, changes into the sunspot form and goes after Wolverine. Wolverine just bats him aside and starts heading upstairs. Karma tries to stop him, but his psychic, psychic defense is just so strong, she's unable to possess him. Um, now, Kitty, meanwhile, she she is searching the upper uh, the upper rooms of the of the institute and, and it finds Xavier at his desk in his office and his head is slumped down. He doesn't even notice her and she she's very nervous, very worried and uh, is having trouble blocking, continuing to block her mind as she's been taught um, and she's very worried that Xavier is going to n- n- sense her presence and she calls out to Professor Xavier saying, Professor and then he responds, You should have heeded Wolverine's injection, child, and fired. Your hesitation will cost you dearly. And she fires, but, and we cut, like, as she's firing, it goes zark. And we cut to the fight downstairs. Wolverine has heard the blaster, and he calls for Kitty's name and starts heading back up the stairs. And Sunspot goes after him again, punching him in the face. Wolverine again bats him to the side. Roberto falls to the downstairs. Uh, Nightcrawler, who's contended, you know, dealing with Wolfsbane uh, in her wolf's form, he baffs and teleports. He then grabs Karma and Danny by the, both each of their heads and smashes them together. They're both knocked unconscious. And so as the X-Men have finally gained the upper hand and Wolverine has reached the the you know the upstairs and he's turning to head towards where he heard the blast uh kitty is throwing through a door she flies off the balcony and lands roughly on the floor and we see xavier appear in the doorway greetings x-men what a pleasant surprise i have longed hope for such a meeting but despaired of it ever coming to pass you need not fear for the youngling. She is beyond help. Fear rather for yourselves. And Xavier is violently thrown forward in his chair. And we see wings sprout from his back. And he begins to transform. Uh, as the X-Men watch helplessly, uh, the twinkle in his eye is lost. And he begins, he finally transforms fully into a young Brood queen, does my form displease you, X-Men? So the brood queen, the youngling queen that Xavier just transformed into, takes flight and is, you know, telling them he's going to force their metamorphosis into other broodlings or uh kill them and uh cyclops blasts this uh the brood uh queen and it goes flying outside of the out out of the mansion and colossus who's dealt with cannibal uh, rendered him unconscious sees this and goes running after it he arrives uh at, upon the brood envy the stunned brood brood queen laying on the ground um and the rest of the X-Men follow after uh, this this brood queen uh, with some of the mute, new mutants uh, following behind them. Uh, Colossus has been wrapped in the tail of the the brood queen and uh, is flung as as these at, towards the the X-Men who have come charging after after the the brood this this Xavier brood 
transformation thing and uh wolverine o- leaps over colossus's body and uh he uh diving towards this brood queen um pops his claws razor keen antimantium claws pop free of their housings he means to bury them in the young queen's heart but at the last instance too soon for her to react slicing her deadly stinger he shifts targets it's it's this great moment. I really really appreciate it because one what we've what we've discovered because this brood has uh, transformed from Xavier, he can sense all of their thoughts. Right, Xavier could always do that. Well, with the brood having taken over his body, it has augmented the brood's already abil- mental abilities, telepathic abilities, and honed them even further with Xavier's abilities. Uh, so he he can sense what the X Men are trying to do before they even do it. And so in that moment, what Wolverine's done is thrown shifting his body at that very last second it gave the brood didn't have time to react and so he was able to chop its stinger off which is gonna one it weakens it and it also um it also is probably gonna make it more difficult to transform or kill any of these x-men or mutants uh he bat this the brood then bats wolverine away wolverine goes flying these fight scenes are spectacular in this comic i just really want to say that uh probably one of my favorite images in this comic is the this wolverine diving towards the brood his claws popping out i mean it is absolutely stunningly beautiful um Back to the story, though. Karma sees this, and Karma's feeling really guilty. Like, she has has not helped this situation, right? Her and her new mutant, her allies, the new her schoolmates, her classmates, they've only made matters worse. They delayed the X-Men. Who knows what could have happened if they wouldn't have gotten in the way. So she's going to, again, attempt to possess this brood, uh, this queen, right? And she's tried this before. Remember in their last encounter, um, and it was very much unsuccessful. Um, she was unable to do it last time. It it hurt her. It, it, it she the alien brain. Remember, and it, it sent backlash on her, and it it burned her mind. It it reflected her thought, her abilities back at her. It really hurt her more than it did any good. So I don't know why she tried it again, but she did. Um, after this, the brood tries to make an escape and is confronted very quickly by a very badass binary um, who is Carol Danvers, uh, also was once Warbird, also Miss Marvel, very badass character, and Claremont has <laughs> really created, uh, kept kept her as a very much as a badass. She she uh, stops the brood and knocks it back. Storm is also there and whips up a blizzard and basically really freezes the brood. It plummets to the ground where it is stunned and frozen and unable to move. So if, if you've ever seen like a fly on the window on a very cold day, you can pretty much just walk up and pick them up or swat on them without them even moving. It's similar to that. I liken brood to insects in that manner. You get them cold and they just don't move. Their blood gets cold and they just stand and they can't move very quickly. And that's kind of where this brood's at. It's injured. It's on the ground. Really unable to fight back. And they know that they've got to do something about it. Wolverine's ready to kill it. Cyclops is like, no, you know, I'm the leader of this team. I've been here the longest. This is my responsibility. It's my mess to clean up. Uh, and he doesn't want to do it, though. And Wolverine's like, we've got to do it, and I'll do it if you can't. Uh, and uh, let's just read some of these panels here. So Cyclops is is standing over this brood and he says forgive me professor if there was any alternative and the brood responds there is none scott professor yes mental transformation incomplete been resisting all my might shock of storm's assault enabled me to gain upper hand Eventually, though, brood persona will overwhelm me. That must not come to pass. For the good of Earth, 
or humanity. Kill me, Scott, I beg you. And Wolverine's like, you heard him, man. And uh, Scott's like, no, you know, we're we're not, you know. No, I also heard Phoenix. You know, he gets into this thing about the Phoenix. Like, he heard the Phoenix tell him this, too. And he wasn't going to have this happen again. Like, he didn't have a chance to save Phoenix. And he's not going to just let this happen like this again. He's not going to lose somebody else. He's going to do... They're going to figure out something. And Wolverine's like... uh He's like, are there any objections to trying to save him? Wolverine's like, eat lots. Storm's like, no. And, uh... I really like the New Mutants here because we have two, the two eventual leaders of the New Mutants, Cannonball and uh, Psyche, Danny Moonstar, and they're standing behind, just off to the side, and Cannonball's like, so that's Cyclops, and Danny's like, wow, so amazing, you know, they're getting first-hand example of what a leader should be, and those two are going to become the co-leaders down the road and it's very 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 cool to see them really being influenced gaining experience first-hand experience uh watching uh somebody of cyclops's abilities taking charge in a moment of where a decision has to be made so they cut to um uh aboard the Starjammer in, in orbit, uh, orbit of Earth. Um, Corsair's there, and they're standing outside the door of the med bay, and out comes Sikorsky, the robot medic on the ship, and Moirik Metagert. And they, you know, are talking about, you know, Xavier, and, you know, what they have to do. And what they're going to end up doing is cloning his body from... Um, DNA they have on file from when he was last uh, in the med bay and uh, transferring his his uh, mind into that body, his persona and everything. Um, and we also see at this moment that Ileana and Peter are there when Kitty Pride wakes up and Ileana's Kitty's new best friend. You know, they're now they're really close in age and so they've gotten very close. It, and that's kind of a cool thing. And Peter is the love interest of of uh, Kitty Pride, and Storm is watching. And she's was really the mother figure to uh, Kitty Pride, and she's feeling very much alone and like abandoned. And she knows like that's so weird that I feel this way. Um, and like I really do, I enjoy these moments as we're kind of wrapping this story up on the Star Jammer because Storm's thinking about this and dealing with like being a mother figure and not having this child relying on her anymore that was their bond used to be so close and she knows that it's natural and this is something that's going to occur and she's not her mother anyways so she's walking out and she finds Kurt and Kurt's kind of looking down on these young new mutants who are just absolutely in awe of everything they're seeing like they're young and they have never seen anything like this before and they're so enthusiastic and just overjoyed and happy and excited and they're uh just exploring and looking out into space. And the storm is talking to Kurt, and they're, you know, doing the normal. Kurt's being suave and dashing, and, you know, he's like, you know, they're going to be just, they're going to be terrified, and I've got to win them over just like I've always had to win over everyone in my life. And Kitty points out, you know, that, Storm points out, that's exactly how it was with Kitty, you know. Once she got to know you, it was fine. She, she, you know, has accepted you, and these students will too. It's just the way it goes. It's what we do, right? And Scott is talking about potentially going with his father. Like Scott and Cosair have this moment on the on on the Starjammer where, you know, they're getting along very well and like enjoying each other's company. And uh, Cosair is telling Scott, you know, he really appreciates the man that Scott has become. And that Scott's able to tell him, like, you know, you're my dad, but, you know, Xavier was a, a very important person in my life, if not very much a father figure and helped me become who I am. And Scott's like, hey, you know, is there going to be room on the crew for me? Of course, there's like, yeah, you know, if you want to come with me, for sure. He's like, you also have some grandparents. So Scott's going to meet his father's parents, which is 
pretty cool, you know, for Scott. Uh, at this moment, we have uh, this reunion's interrupted as Raza accompanies Gladiator, uh, the leader of Lalandra's Royal Guard, onto the ship. He's got news for Liliandra, and it's about... Uh, it's it's a pretty cool scene. Uh, we've got uh, problems with Fantastic Four uh, helping Galactus return to life. Like that, he was had died, and he he now he's back. He's destroying planets once again. And Lilandra's irritated. She uh, projects herself in their bedroom holographically of Reed Richards and Sue Storm in the middle of the night, and like gives them the riot act about <laughs> they know not what they've done. And the whole Fantastic Four team's like shocked and doesn't know what to think about this. And so when she finishes this, everybody's gathered around and they're all talking. And out of the med bay comes Professor Xavier in a wheelchair. And everyone's pretty much overjoyed, as you can imagine. Uh, and really glad to see him. And as he comes out, he stands up, and he's able to stand, because this clone body doesn't have crushed legs. His previous body, its legs had been crushed, um, and that's no longer obviously a thing, because he's got a clone body, but his body does collapse in pain. And what we find out, that his legs caused him pain his in- ever since the accident, the had caused him to become unable to walk and he had used his mental abilities to uh to um to push away the pain to kind of uh isolate it to push it out of his mind so it didn't affect him well he'd been doing that for so long he he didn't his Basically, it had been like a learned behavior, right? His mind was telling him he couldn't walk, and it wasn't going to allow him to walk, even though he physically could. So now he had to ch- change that behavior, or that uh, relearn that in his mind. Something that would just take some time is what Moira th- thinks. She explains this. Oh, let's see how where she say it. Um, basically, that that. You know, it it is just his, uh, he's stubborn and his mind's stubborn and his subconscious is stubborn and it's going to take some time uh, and hard work to, 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 to overcome that. Um, and so everybody's really happy. Lalandra's overwhelmed and overjoyed to see Xavier and she's giving him a kiss and uh he's blushing it's it's an odd scene but uh it's a happy scene and everybody's really happy at the end of this and this is all punctuated with uh xavier telling kitty you know what you're there's now a team uh a school for younger mutants and that's the team you know kitty you're going to be joining the new mutants that's where you belong they're students your age and that's where you need to go because you shouldn't be out gallivanting with the x-men it's too dangerous you're just a student you're here to learn and learn how to control your powers so that's where you're gonna i'm gonna have you have you become a new mutant and uh his decision he says is final and what we see is Kitty not very, you know, looking kind of out of the corner of the eye, a little stunned. And we see uh, her fellow teammates standing behind her, uh, kind of sullen. So it really takes kind of the joy out of this moment for this team. But that's the end of the Brood Saga. And, uh, you know, what we get here is a, you know... Two books now running simultaneously. Uh, one of a, a school that deals with much more the teenage side of things and more, you know, how to navigate life. And we have a superhero book that uh, deals with crazy, wild superhero things. Um, but I do, I do what we like to see. I, I enjoy what we're seeing here. We're seeing. The development of two separate teams and one team that has a lot to learn, one team that was very much like the first 
or the second generation X-Men, right, that has unorganized, not really sure of how to work together. Uh, the New Mutants seem to be ahead of that, ahead of the curb there, but, like, they're not fully in control of their abilities yet. They still haven't mastered them. Um, so, you know, that that's the story, though. We've got uh, Xavier back from being... You know, he's, he's returned. Uh, he's no longer possessed by Brood. Brood have been wiped off. There's no more Brood on Earth. And uh, uh, the thing that I find really cool and interesting is the more and more I think about, like, especially New Mutants issue number three, I'm going to just go back on that and t- just talk momentarily about this, touching on that scene where uh, they'd fought that Brood in the study. I almost wonder if that was was not even really a brood. It probably wasn't a brood. So the brood that they, they saw, that they fought with, may have just been, uh, it probably was just a brood that Danny projected, right? Remember that brood had had used its abilities, so probably Xavier's, because it was an embryo in Xavier, right? It used Xavier's abilities, coupled with Danny's ability to pull fear from people, to create the environment and 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 the image of a brood, almost like holographic projection, because her her images uh, she pulls uh, appear to be real, and uh, and that would explain why when she's knocked, punched by Sam, it all goes away, and the and the brood seems to disappear, and why. Uh, why it's not, you know, why there's only one in this last fight. Uh, we will see if that is the case going forward. But for now, that's the conclusion of the New Mutants and X-Men uh, sharing this story arc. Um, I, it, it, I will say uh, I really do like these first, especially these first three, first four issues of the New Mutants. Uh, if you count the graphic novel, I think they really add, especially when they weave them into that brood saga, I really find that to be a very satisfying story arc. And you're really starting to see this team gel together. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I, I'm really excited to keep moving forward and see where we go from here. The next issue, issue number four of New Mutants, is going to be something completely different. Who's scaring Stevie? Now we've got listener feedback. Hey, James. Been enjoying the first three episodes. Thanks so much for doing this as a fellow New Mutants fan. Um, One thing that stood out to me that you brought up was how interconnected the titles were at the time. And what I find so interesting was um, while you were describing... um, the character was it Michael Rossi, um, who had also appeared in, uh, I believe, Uncanny X Men One Eighty Two, was a character from the Carol Danvers series, Miss um, Marvel, which Claremont also had written. So um, it's just so neat to see how Claremont would um, bring in all these characters that he created or continued to create or defined rather, and uh, bring them into um, his books and continue their stories. So, well. That's it. Thanks a lot. Um, I just got a message. I was getting too long, so thanks. Bye. Thanks, Nelson, for the comments and feedback. You know, uh, you know, and and the kind words. It's greatly appreciated, and I really have enjoyed uh, putting together this podcast. It's really been a blast. So I'm I'm glad you've enjoyed it so far, and I hope you continue to enjoy it. Um, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. You know, it it Claremont has a way of pulling characters that he had uh, either created or uh, had time writing um, back into the X-Men. Uh, and Carol Danvers and Colonel Mike Rossi are perfect examples of that. Uh, and, you know, he restores Carol Gan- D- Danvers to to a powerhouse again in, in his run uh and when as she's with the X Men uh during with the Star Jammers and, and the Brood saga, uh, as she becomes binary and that's that's, you know, pretty awesome. You know, he he 
that's something that I really appreciate about him. You know, he makes a sprawling universe. He ties it together just like uh, Kirby and Lee had been doing when they first created uh, these these titles, you know. And <clears throat> that's something I appreciate about Marvel Comics, that their universe is, you know, there's... These these places are real places on this planet, you know, London, New York, uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, and that's where these characters go, and the Avengers can bump into the X-Men, and the X-Men can bump into the New Warriors, and so forth and so on. I just, I find that to be pretty enjoyable. Um, and, and Claremont, you know, weaves these fairly complex and intricate story arcs beautifully, and I like his use of characters, I really do. Um, and I like the mythos that is created because of that. You know, it, it's an X-Men mythos, but it, it also plays into a larger Marvel Universe mythos. And it all has its place, and he, he I think he handles it beautifully. It's what makes me, that's what makes him my favorite uh, X-Men writer ever, you know. Uh, so yeah, I, I totally I totally agree. I think it's I think it's great. And um you're absolutely right. Uh so yeah, um the reason I guess the reason I really started looking at Claremont's writing style and how that affected the X titles was thanks to Jan Miles uh explaining the X-Men podcast. It's a podcast that actually got me interested in starting podcasting. Um and got me, uh, helped me decide that the New Mutants was a place to, like, really focus. So, you know, thanks again to Jay and Miles for that. Like, they really inspired me to do this. And if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't heard Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, it's definitely worth a listen. I have a ton of content, like over 210 episodes, I believe. Um, And they've gone from the very first issue of X-Men all the way up into, I think they're in just starting the Executioner song, and they do every X title. So they they explore them through story arcs, um, and, and they do a beautiful job. Uh, that being said, you know, like, they were, they're the ones that inspired me to really examine Claremont's writing style, pay attention to how he writes. Um, not that I wouldn't have, but uh, they got me into exploring this long game. Uh, they also introduced me to some great source material through their podcast. Uh, they mention a book called uh, by How. It called um, Marvel's Untold Story, and that's a wonderful resource. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's, it's great. Um, and Claremont, he does this long game thing. When he took over the X-Men, he was brand new to it. Like, he was had just come off being an intern. He was uh, assistant editor, I believe, to Wynn, who had just put out Giant Size X-Men uh, number one. And, like, that was supposed to turn into a mainstream series, you know, just a regular series, uh, which it did, obviously. It relaunched the X-Men. Um, but Wynn didn't have time to continue on that book. So they gave it to Claremont, this new writer, and... <laughs> You know, the rest is history. But Claremont, being a new writer, you know, he was willing to create for this book. He was re- willing to just pour everything he had into it. And, you know, I think it really shows. You see a lot of new characters. You see, you know, just some epic story arcs, you know. And when we look back at stuff that had come before this, and, like, I'm just going to pick one just because I just was listening to a episode of Jan Miles Explain the X-Men where guests host... Uh, we're, we're exploring um, amazing adventures in the story arc where the beast gets his fur, right? They're exploring that and they were talking about Steve Englehart and his time on that run and how Englehart took a lot of characters and he just retread them. And, you know, I, I think he did that because at that point, Englehart was kind of a fairly established writer. Uh, for Marvel and you know had some success under his belt and I think he was just retreading these characters because it was easier one 
maybe it was easier to do that than create new, but it's likely had to do with royalties. Like, he wasn't going to get paid royalties for anything new he created. So what's the point of doing that? You might as well take characters that somebody else had created that aren't being used and, and bring them into the, into the more modern era and, and revamp them. And, you know, if they aren't superheroes, you know, potentially make them superheroes. And so that's what he does. And we don't see that with Claremont because I think part of that was his youth. And, you know, I don't know that we ever see that with Claremont. You know, I don't know if it. you want to say that he's a Marvel guy, but, like, he... He creates for the sake of creating. I don't. I don't know. I don't know why some some authors and some writers and some artists, uh, you know, begin to look at it that way. I don't. You know, but some did. You know, it's it's well documented in that book, uh, Marvel: The Untold Story, about how you know writers and artists retreading characters because they're not going to see any more profit than the initial fee they receive for writing and and page payout, you know, the money they receive for the pages they submit. You know, so why create something new? You know, we're not dealing with a creative, creator-controlled industry with, Mar- you know, in Marvel. Like, they just, that's not how it was run, and it's still not how it's run today. So it's easier to retread something than it is to create it from scratch. And, and, for whatever reason, Claremont was creating stuff from scratch and, you know, creating this amazing mythos. And I super, super appreciate it if you haven't already figured that out. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's you know, that's just, I find this part, that part of uh, the New Mutant story to be pretty interesting, you know, this this behind-the-scenes look. And we'll continue to do it as long as I am able to do it. Uh, so... Sometimes there's better dirt than others. Sometimes we just have to really examine it and ask some questions that maybe the answer isn't there. But, you know, we can hypothesize based on what we see in the comic and draw some conclusions from that and what generally is going on in the industry. And so, as always, James Explores New Mutants is recorded in Iowa City, Iowa and produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are available every Wednesday through Anchor, Google, Apple, Stitcher, to name a few. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant or via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Another way to reach the podcast that uh, today's listener used was Anchor Voice Message, which is a feature that allows you, the listener, to record a message, which I believe is about a minute long, and then it is put in my inbox on my Anchor app. I can then review the question and answer it on the air, or I can take that question and place it directly in the podcast, as I've done today, and then comment or answer answer that. So it's a really good way for you listeners to become involved. And I hope, I really love it. And I I hope we continue to use it. So again, thanks for listening. And today's episode was enjoyable, a little long, but that's okay. Uh, So yeah, next week, we're going to dive into issue number four of Uncanny X-Men, Who's Scaring Stevie Hunter? Uh, You know, Hope to hope you're hope you tune in uh, next week, and until then, keep reading those comics. <laughs>